Welcome to the Prodigal and the Priest podcast, a podcast about faith, sports, and two friends from different cultures. Here are your hosts, Joey Scansella and Father Paul Bechter. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. October the 6th. Yeah. We're, we're releasing the day <laughs> that we uh, record this on. So oh. I'm very, well, right. I'm just sharing with people so they know. Yeah. Pulling back the curtain. I like it. <laughs> yeah, Didn't exactly. waste any time. Exactly. I'm very depressed this morning. Why would that be? Tell us about it. <laughs> you, know, you know why. Right. <laughs> My beloved yeah. Yankees did not make it past the wild card game. They played yeah. like against all odds, garbage. They fell uh, flat. I mean, I mean really? They're kind of the favorites, odds? right? I think they were slightly favored, actually. Yeah, yeah. because their pitcher that makes thirty-six million dollars a year. The reason they brought him here, Garrett Cole, should have done something with oh, his life. And where'd he come from? Uh, what was that cheating team? I forget. <laughs> Texas. So you're going to have to just run the podcast today. I normally come up with everything, but. Okay. Well, that's good. So I'm having kind of a rough time this morning as well because I just got my <laughs> mouth operated on yesterday. Okay. That is Root dramatic. Canal. My mouth operated on. People are going to be thinking you had like a, a jaw, jaw replacement or something like that. Let's it let's not hurts. mislead the people. Oh, it, it hurts to laugh. It hurts to smile. Good thing you don't smile too much. That's right. At least let's, not in public Let's talk photos. about something fun for okay. the people. Yeah, we need this. The new seminarian poster is going to be coming out and your <laughs> new photo on it, which... Kind of looks like you're ready to like rip somebody's heads off. <laughs> like your eyes are very just ominous in it. Uh huh. And I'm I'm kind of tripped out by it. It's so kind of every- glinting steel. Yeah, everybody needs to <laughs> find this poster <laughs> when it's posted around different parishes, wherever you listen from, or the diocese of Dallas, um, seminarian poster, and find Father Paul on the bottom and be like. Because yeah. you looking like that, and then Father Zach Webb, who we both know obviously very well, grew up at St. Anne's here. Um, he's also like very jaundice. Yeah, his his it's like there's a filter on him or something. Yeah, it's a little yellow. Um, What's going on in this bishop's office? All right, who, I think it's a great looking poster. Thing. We're just on the draft. Joey's jumping the gun a little bit, but I think it's a great <laughs> looking poster. I'm really happy with the theme and the design and. Really, everyone's picture but my own. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's picture. Also, some of those pictures are very outdated. Like even Bishop Burns looks pretty outdated. Yeah. Right? Well, it's just, so what I'm finding out is when you take a portrait and it works out pretty good, uh, it's it not guaranteed life. that when you get a replacement one, like I did this year, uh, just because some years have passed, like you might be making this like weird grimace. <laughs> and you like also, I, I have to point out and who knows if I'm supposed to or controversial, but you didn't go cassock for the photo. You went, no. you went uh, just clerics and jacket. Why? I wanted to, to fit in with the crowd. <laughs> it's what everyone else was wearing. That's what everybody no, else was it's doing. Actually, it was just what I was wearing at the time. 
Um, so if you were wearing the cassock, you would have done it. Yeah, nobody nobody really pays attention to like. Besides me, when it when it's like a headshot, very few people are looking at like oh. <laughs> what kind of collar you're wearing and stuff. Especially looking. if it's just if it's a black black and white collar, regardless. Right, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Well, this is good segue for what I want to talk about today. Is it? See right. if you're. Uh, well, I mentioned the name Bishop and oh, okay. I. I'm going to talk about the bishops. Yeah. So something that happened over the summer that I think is very intriguing and don't know if really any of our people know this, but on June 21st, Archbishop um, Jose Gomez issued a statement that they're going to be crafting a document on the Eucharist. Are you aware of this? I am. (laughs) Were you you brought into the inner circle of this (laughs) decision? Not Archbishop Gomez's inner circle. And essentially... um, it's drawn a little bit of controversy from it because of the fact that um, one of the things they hope to address in the document is not just why the Eucharist is so important for the lay faithful, but lack of better terms, rules for um, reception of Holy Communion. And there's a lot of questions regarding politicians and the reception of Holy Communion. Are you aware of this? Yeah, so yeah, I'm very aware of it. So first, just giving people like background, um, this is not like an encyclical, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know, give them a little background. Why does this matter if it's coming from the bishops? Why should we trust it? What is the importance of it? Should I read it? You know, those things. Yeah, for sure. So they're going to do a it's not just going to be a document. It's going to be a Eucharistic Congress, like a whole sort of get-together um, focused on bringing the Eucharist back into a pride of place for, like, every Catholic. And it's true, like, the politician thing is is one thing. You have some very sort of public figures who are holding very public views against the Catholic Church who will still present themselves for communion. And there's some... Uh, inconsistency in the way different dioceses approach that. So that, that's one part of it. But honestly, I think the thing was motivated more by that peer research study that came out that said like 15% of church-going Catholics believe in the Eucharist or something. Like some, some dismal number. I think it was more than that. And maybe it was a different segment. But it was abysmal. Um, and so it's kind of like, we can't just sit here and say like, no, people know what what this like most important sacrament <laughs> is and people know what the church teaches and stuff. Apparently they don't. Um, or that teaching one has third. slipped away. One, one third. third. Okay. So 30%. I was half of that. But um, apparently that teaching has, has slipped away and just like their practice has become maybe rote in some cases or skeptical in other cases, just out of custom. I don't know. There's there's lots of things going on. And so that's kind of the reason for this event. I forget exactly when. It's like a 2022 kind of thing. 2022, 2023. They're talking about it more now. They're getting it organized. But uh, it's still a work in progress. I heard, so I was at a, a new vocation director um, conference 
because that's the kind of thing I go to now to learn how to do this uh, do this job. It's still October, and I'm still like, yeah, just kind of learning. Because <laughs> you took a few vacations, <laughs> just did other things throughout the summer. Yeah, no, I've been working very hard. And um, to, for whoever's Posters. listening, <laughs> Posters. <laughs> yeah, practicing my portrait pose. Um, and uh, uh. Bishop Cousins, he's the auxiliary bishop in Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul. He gave a tremendous talk on, awesome bishop. on the Eucharist. Really awesome. And he is very, very involved in this commission. I don't know what his role is exactly if he's like the guy in charge mm. of the subcommittee or like however that works. But he's super involved in it because I've heard him talk, I think, twice now at vocation director stuff. And both times have been very, very focused on the Eucharist with kind of the USCCB's uh, initiative as a backdrop to that. And mm. just really, really tremendous. Um, there is a little chuckle that made me laugh if people want to read mm. a little bit about it. Um, there's just a little uh, page on it on the USCCB. And one of it is like, why are the bishops doing this now? And they have a little paragraph. But at the end, I just love this statement. It made me laugh. It's like, it is clear from the intensity and passion expressed in the in individual and interventions made by the bishops during last week's meeting that each bishop deeply loves the Eucharist. I'm like, I hope <laughs> Do so. Do we need to reaffirm like, that? <laughs> like, if they don't love the Eucharist, I think they're in the wrong profession. But it is crazy. Yeah. I was just clicking on that study while we were talking. I mean, most Catholics, it says here, cannot share what the meaning of transubstantiation is. Seven in ten U.S. believe Bread and wine used in communion are sim are simply symbolic. I mean, what are people doing then? That that's my question. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I'm gonna just be vulnerable and real for a second. If it's just a symbol, right? I'm not going to the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not gonna sit in the pews for you know, like not all, but some like very poor like homilies. Some <laughs> like poor yeah. like culture people that don't look into their faith like what are people doing mm -hmm. yeah i don't i think that's a really good question um uh what do you got now yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, i don't know yeah so, so i, I kind of wanted to, oh go ahead but uh famous quote i can't remember from flannery connor was along those same lines right um, maybe i'm not sure if, if it's I've just a one. symbol then like forget it basically mm. I think uh, she was at some some dinner when people were talking and tossing ideas around and stuff. And Flannery, that's and a then name she right like, there. She like slammed her fist down on the table. I'm probably just changing the story completely, but, <laughs> but search for Flannery, Flannery O'Connor uh, Eucharist outcry or something. Outcry. <laughs> Look it um, up. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. there's so many kind of quotes that i just picked up throughout the course of theology that come back to me about like yeah like how to how to just sum up in one word how important the eucharist is to the church but but one of them is that the eucharist makes the church um like the eucharist is the heart of the church because it's jesus christ who gives himself as um our heavenly food and in this real presence um to like dwell in the midst of his churches and his mm -hmm. people 
Um, it also, like the Eucharist and the priesthood are so closely tied together. Uh, now as vocation director, going around, I get to uh, tell variations on my vocation story all the time. And mm-hmm. one of them is like what happened when I discovered what the Eucharist was. And I grew up as an altar server who was going to mass every weekend. And I would just, maybe this will sort of shout out altar servers. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But maybe this will answer your question of like, what are people doing when they go? But then they, they later say they don't believe in it. Um, Like it just wasn't, it was a thought that never really entered my mind. And it wasn't that people didn't try and teach it either. Like I went to Sunday school and we weren't great at Sunday school. <laughs> um, right. We were, you know, volunteers who were trying. Um, but like we did learn what it was mm-hmm. and it just never sunk in what, what that meant. Like it was, it was, there was a disconnect somehow. Right. Um, even though I was up super close uh, to the altar at mass and receiving communion after I made my first communion and stuff, just like right. as a teenager, Growing up, I had no idea, like, the significance of what we believed um, for my life, for the life of the church, for the world. Yeah. Like, it just, none of it really, really was there. And it wasn't until after I went to UD and had this big conversion there, I started learning what the Eucharist was um, yeah. as I fell in love with the church mm. and with Jesus Christ whose mercy I'd experienced in this personal way, like he reached out yeah. and saved me from wandering off off the path too far. Um, I read the catechism. <laughs> like I didn't, the catechism's so big that it's kind of intimidating to mm-hmm. like, well, I guess I have to read it cover to cover or not at all. Right. Like, like you can really just pick it up and like flip around. Right. Like it's, like it's a magazine yeah. almost that you would find in, the waiting room of a dentist who's about to do a root canal on your <laughs> was it Still in your hurts. dentist's office the catechism <laughs> the catechism <That> <laughs> so <laughs> awesome all dentists out there put the catechism <laughs> in your waiting room people might flip through it um but that's kind of what i did i flipped through it and i started reading the section on the eucharist and it just floored me it wasn't what i thought it would be at all mm-hmm. and for some reason those words were sinking in now yeah um and I remember it's just like the the most tremendous like <laughs> like stay at home night where I didn't do anything but read. I just fell into the catechism right on the Eucharist, and then when I went to mass, I think it might have been the next day because I was going to daily mass by then. Um, just being knocked over at this like grace provoked realization during mass of mm-hmm. what the Eucharist was yeah. that had been fueled by some of that reading um, and. Uh, in a in a large way by that encounter with Christ, just realizing that like this this consecrated host that I was about to receive was the person who created everything, yeah, including me, and it was just this immense, I don't know, realization of immensity, yeah, um, and like that was that was a really key sort of moment in that trajectory that took me to discerning priesthood and then like going back to adoration over and over and over 
was was a one of the things that kind of brought me into seminary. Yeah. Um, with that that momentum of Eucharistic adoration, because I just wanted to be closer and closer to the Eucharist. And the more I started to understand what it is, that it's it's not only the presence of Jesus for us, but like the Mass is the the presentation of his his self sacrifice for us as well. And so it's this whole yeah. like dynamic that we as his body get swept up into it's the food that when we receive it, it turns us into itself and not vice versa like other food. And so yeah. we become more Christ-like, more conformed to him because we are him in a way. Yeah. Uh, more, more fully. And it just like from that moment, it was like, it doesn't really matter <laughs> what else is going on. Um, I'm just going to go to a church every day um, and try to go to mass every day. Right. And I know I'm, I'm not saying that that works with everybody's schedule. Like I was a student at the time and then I entered seminary a couple of years later. Yeah. So I had a certain amount of freedom, but like, you had it pretty rough as a student. You're like, <laughs> I can't make this mass. I was sleeping in pretty hard. Yeah. Good thing there's another one later today <laughs> <laughs> on a Tuesday. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a it was a really life changing thing. And for a while, anyway, it didn't seem to matter what was going on with the homily. It didn't seem to matter right. like whether the priest was kind of kind of crazy or <laughs> uh celebrated mass in a way that I didn't like or I didn't like the music like I was there for the Eucharist and yeah. now you know it's been a long time since then and so like I have <laughs> come kind of back around to appreciating those are really important elements too I was but gonna they're push, all, yeah but they're all subordinate yeah to that good so I'm not saying like like it doesn't matter if you have the worst music or the worst homily or whatever yeah the priest gets up there and gives a 30 minute rambling homily like uh, someone may have done this last weekend. Anybody uh, who went to 430 mass, <laughs> Father Paul. <laughs> Please invite me back. Give me another shot. <laughs> no, I was going to push in and ask about that. And there's a bunch we can get to. And so, but one, one comment you made that I find interesting is I do find some staff slash um, just devoted lay people, priests, that obviously the reason we're there is the Eucharist, but then kind of use it just as like an excuse to be like, well, we're there for the Eucharist, so these other things don't matter. Yeah, right. I was gonna we don't push... need to invest in them or right. like, you know, don't complain so much. If yeah, they're... like there's a reason yeah. that in Protestant churches like these mega churches which i always bring up mega churches because we are a mega catholic church here at saint Anne's, right um mm -hmm. in all intensive purposes no yeah right? we totally are we're we're on that scale a church our size in the protestant world would have the main preacher main focus be all week working on crafting the message because yeah. you're about to be in front of 4,000, 5,000, however many pre-COVID we used to have, you know, 8,000 people come to St. Anne's, right? For weekend mm -hmm. masses. You're going to have 8,000 people as a captive audience. And they're like, yeah, we want to be able to be clear, concise, have a good message. Um, have it be supported by everything else. Yeah. Like, like that it, it's all, and, and that's actually one of the, one of the beautiful things 
uh, a topic that came up when we were talking about some of this uh, like Eucharistic Congress stuff at the vocation director meeting was like, well, what about what about all the stuff like to you know teach on the core of what the Eucharist is? That's one thing, right? But we we transmit that belief by all the little things that we do that prove that we actually believe it. Right. Like, like everything from genuflecting, right? You go down on one knee when you pass the tabernacle mm-hmm. um, to the way in which you receive communion. And this isn't the time to get exactly into that, but like, but like with reverence yeah, um, and the way that the Eucharist is taken care of. Like if, if you are, as, as a lay person, if you're coming up and you're totally invested, like this is the true body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, and I'm going to receive it as such, and, and you receive yeah. communion, and then you walk away and you see like Eucharistic ministers like handling the vessels badly, or you find out that they weren't purified afterwards. Like that's scandalous in the proper sense of the term. Like it's. Mm-hmm. It's driving a wedge between people and their faith right. uh, by your practice of it because it shows that like it's not consistent. And so yeah. that that was one of the things that came up that I thought was really, really important. And you can extend that principle out into the music, out into the homily, out into the way the priest and the altar servers comport themselves, even the way altar servers dress. Like I'm not I'm not saying everything has to be stiff and formal because that's not what the Eucharist is. But everything needs to be ordered towards that reality. Yeah. Otherwise, it's working against that belief. Shorts um, and tennies. That's the, shorts and tennies. Stiletto <laughs> heels. That's the. Uh, <laughs> that's the natural way for an so altar like, server. Like these, these would be you know easy paths to go down and and rant on. But like yeah. all, all I want to do is just recognize that like in in a Eucharistic revival, which is what the Church in the United States wants to happen. Because we're recognizing, like, how far our people have drifted yeah. from a Eucharistic-centered life. Um, if you're going to put it in the center of your life, that means everything needs to be ordered towards it in a proper way. And yeah. so that's that. It really does touch on everything, right. and it even it even touches on like the communal and the missional nature of the Eucharist, right? Like, like a way that Eucharistic piety can go bad is sort of seeing it just as me and Jesus time. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I'm here and I'm putting up with the rest of the community <laughs> and with all these things just so I can receive Jesus and get out of there and then yeah. finally be alone with him. Like, right. like solitude with Christ in the Eucharist is really important, but he calls us as a body. Yeah. Like, um, and it's, it's kind of a funny plug to make, I guess in like <laughs> a Catholic podcast, but one of the best talks I've heard recently on that dimension of the Eucharist, yeah, like the fact that it is real and it's communal, right, was by Francis Chan. Mm. You remember that talk, like two I years ago? I do remember that talk. That was a great talk. It's tremendous. I don't know what it's called, but he's he's not oh, Catholic. Sh- <laughs> I mean, it was going it, around huge Catholic circles, though. Yeah, it was, like, but I don't think it made it to uh, everybody. No, and, yeah. I would just type in Francis Chan Eucharist, and Eucharist. I'm sure it would pop up. Like um, it, it he, starts, I don't know if he ever uses the word Eucharist in it. Yeah, I don't know. But it, it starts in a way where you're like, okay, this is like a good 
Protestant sermon kind yeah. of thing. And then it takes a turn where you're like, is this guy, is this guy Catholic? Because he's yeah. explaining something, something about the Eucharist in a way a lot better than like that Most. we deeply believe. Yeah. But um yeah. that we sometimes struggle to put words to. Right. I was I was really moved by it. Yeah. Um all right, I want to touch on a few things. I'm just gonna hit three points on uh, a little bit of the Q and A just so people know a little background on um, this document that's coming out. And then there's some questions that I jotted down. Because remember, for those who are just joining us in our first official episode of season two, last one was just like an introduction teaser, but these are topics. Mm. We're combining our questions and we're combining topics. So, oh, we are. you know, yeah. No, I'm kidding. We talked about this. <laughs> okay. But Archbishop Gomez and the USCCB, um, they just have three points that I think are good to reiterate. Like, and they ask like, so does this mean the bishops vote to ban politicians from receiving Holy Communion? No, this was not up for vote or debate. The bishops made decisions. Uh, the bishops made no decisions about barring anyone from receiving Holy Communion. Another question was, are the bishops going to issue a national policy on withholding communion from politicians? No, there will be no national policy on withholding communion from politicians. The intent is to present a clear understanding of the church's teaching to bring heightened awareness among the faithful of how the Eucharist can transform our lives and bring us closer to the creator and the life he wants for us. And the last was, did the Vatican tell the bishops not to move forward on drafting this document? Um, no, the Holy See did uh, encourage the bishops to engage in dialogue and broad consultation. So I uh, just want to toss out a few of those, but type in USCCB Eucharist, you'll see it there. But a few questions that popped up in my mind and people have asked over time. So it's kind of like rapid round. So we got about, you know, 10, 15 minutes here to talk mm -hmm. about a few of these. So one that I thought was interesting was, okay, so you pointed to how important it is as a priest, the Eucharist especially, yeah. right? Um, gives you really life, um, helps you be the person you are kind right? of the reason for my existence the reason for your existence <laughs> so i i can't help but ask why would it be that you all are required to do um the office of readings every day your office right the liturgy of the hours the liturgy yeah. of the hours but you're not required to say a mass mm, that's a good question like so, i just don't see <clears throat> that connection if this is like the heart and soul of the priesthood. Yeah. yeah. And literally what the church says is the source and summit. Like yeah, we don't say Christian that about life. the liturgy of the hours it, as great as it is. Right. <laughs> like we, we do yeah. say like we venerate, we venerate the scriptures, like we venerate the body of Christ. So, uh, you know, I, I mm -hmm. can see ties there, but I have always struggled with that one in case, yeah. you know, and, and in case our listeners didn't know. So like literally, if you don't do your liturgy of the hours, you have to confess that. Mm-hmm. So that is a daily requirement as a priest. How is it not saying a mass, barring you can't, you don't have literally, you know, the bread and wine, you know, something crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how is that not a requirement? Have you heard any explanations on it? Uh, I've thought about it. So <laughs> I haven't heard any like definitive so, explanations. Buckle up, 30 from, minutes. From those who go. draft from the Supreme <laughs> Legislator. Um, but, uh, Okay, so these are my thoughts. Uh, it's it's true. It's a very good point. Canon law does not require priests to say mass every day. 
as far as the requirements for mass, like there's, if you're assigned to a parish and things, there's a lot of requirements about providing for the needs of the faithful. So that's, that's one angle that they go at it with. Mm-hmm. But like, I think you could kind of just say we are required on the most basic level to fulfill our Sunday obligation by attending mass. Mo- like whether we're celebrating or attending. Um, so I know that sounds weird. I'm just saying like the most basic level, the minimal possible thing, that's pretty much what it is. Now, the rest of the language encourages us as strongly as possible without requiring it to say Mass every day. Not just not just on Sundays or not even just for the needs of the people, um, mm. but that's the norm. But it encourages us to say Mass every day uh, because of the good of saying Mass yeah. uh, with and for the church. Like there's no such... You'll sometimes hear there's no such thing as a private mass, and that's true in the sense that like every mass is celebrated with and for the entire church, right? The church triumphant, the saints and the angels in heaven, as well yeah. as the church here, and it's on behalf of the whole church as well, including those in purgatory. And that's why it was um, dangerous when some priests during the <laughs> pandemic. It's a side tangent, but we're saying, well, I'm just going to be like my people and not, you know. I'm not going to say mass, right? There's, or that, yeah. like, there is a danger in that of not understanding that private, you know, like. Yeah, that there is a spiritual dimension to this, which is always uh, valid and always extremely important. So that's that's part of the reason that we're encouraged so strongly. I think also it's just like a priest ought to have a really deep Eucharistic devotion. Um, yeah. And uh, so the reasons I can come up with are give them to me i don't know twofold (laughs) one um saint paul talks about not receiving the eucharist when you're in the state of mortal sin he doesn't use the word mortal sin but um in first corinthians Mm -hmm. uh, somewhere (laughs) like seven to nine 11 i can't remember this is this this is the bible guy everybody in case you forgot First Corinthians somewhere, somewhere (laughs) from like 7 to 11. I always get a little confused, but I know it's in there. 7-11. Yeah, somewhere in there. Um, St. Paul talks about the importance of discerning the body before you receive communion, and that if you're not discerning the body, then don't receive communion. And the church's reflection on that is, um, together with that sort of like just coherence with what the Eucharist is, is that we cannot, <laughs> we would be eating and drinking, as St. Paul says, unto condemnation, not unto life, if right. we did not first go to confession and be reconciled with God. Yep. Um, like, that's the order of operations. So, But that being said, what, it is a valid mass, right? It is a valid mass, but like, what if a priest was required to say mass and God forbid, but what if that priest had fallen into mortal sin right. and didn't have the obligation to say Mass for the people that day right. by his schedule? Then the church would be requiring him to say Mass and sort of unto condemnation right. in a way, um, without him being able to go to confession. Yeah. And in a city, you're like, well, you could go find someone else or... Uh, Amber, Amber, alert. Amber alert. That's very loud. Um, but what if he's on an island or out in the country or something? And so, like, 
So that's that's not a happy situation. No one wants to think of their priest as falling into great sin. Right. But I can see that as part of the logic okay. behind super strongly encouraging and not requiring it. And that's that same logic that would not require it of people who are obliged to attend Sunday Mass, right? If somebody's in a state of mortal sin, you still you still got to go to Sunday Mass, at least when we have an obligation to. Mm-hmm. Um, but you shouldn't be receiving the Eucharist. It's for the same reason. Yeah. And that's also the same reason that, uh, in a way, that politicians who espouse positions which are publicly against the Catholic Church, Yep. Um, that's not saying that they have a culpability in conscience that they are permanently in a state of mortal sin, but it is saying that they are presenting themselves publicly in mm-hmm. as endorsing positions which are against the teaching of the church. So right. similar kind of dynamic without the like it's just we can't we can't read people's souls. Yeah. Right? And so you want to avoid casting that part of the judgment. By the way, we we all know, right? Yeah. Like Judge not doesn't mean you can't say anything is bad. Right. You can make that external judgment. It means only God knows the heart. Right. And uh, you shouldn't be casting judgment in there. So, but anyway, I'm to bring it back a little bit. The other reason is, I think just for travel, um, Like, you could say, okay, this obligation doesn't bind when you're traveling, but that still kind of gets kind of, kind of, kind of weird. Like, I had a, I had an experience, um, on Friday, (laughs) not, not this Friday, sorry. Like, when I was traveling back from one of these conferences where my plane got delayed about 12 hours, I was supposed to leave at eight in the morning. We were on the plane and then it got rescheduled. I think till like 11 p.m. <laughs> mm. um, and so I hadn't said mass that morning because to get to the airport for an 8 a.m. flight is already pretty early. And if you've got the rest of the day to say mass when you come back, like why do you need to get up at 4 <laughs> right. to do it? And But then they rescheduled it so late. And even when I was able to change my flight to 6 p.m., it's still like I'm going to get back into Dallas really close to midnight. And if I am obliged to say mass between the hours of midnight and midnight every day, then like <laughs> it's it's going to be really, really close. Right. And so it makes sense not to have that obligation because cause there it's like, well, you could say, oh, I'm not obliged because, because you know, my schedule didn't allow for it. But what if it kind of like it's right, possible, yeah. but but morally speaking, it's just not really possible. Yeah. Um, and I mean, thankfully that day I was able to, to go to a church in town actually from the city where I was traveling and, uh, said it, said a mass there, talked to the priest and he was, we had a, a long layover with that or not a layover, but gap, uh, with that rescheduled plane flight. So yeah. I was able to actually leave the airport, go and pray, say mass, hang out, have coffee and then come back to the airport. And it ended up being a pretty great day, but like, right. That's a pretty exceptional situation. And so if you're, there's a lot of situations, I think, where you could be on the road in some way or you could not have a scheduled mass but get called into emergency after emergency. Yeah. 
Um, and so I think I think those are like that's not I've never heard a definitive reason, but those are the two I can think of. I think the sin one actually makes more sense than the, the sin travel. one makes more sense. Although the only thing I guess I wonder or I push back on is is it is it more limiting like are more priests not taking advantage of the Eucharist, like in the sense of like on their day off or things mm. like that, then putting yeah. that in place and having like, we can't just articulate those things. Like barring, if you are in mortal sin, you need to first boom, you know, like, I think that's a matter of the heart, right? That's a matter of formation. Right. Um, and uh, a matter of, of just like how you see your, your priesthood. Like, I'm yeah. not sure if you can, if that's lacking, if you can fix it with uh, with a law, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'll just share an experience from my own formation. Like I've, <laughs> I think I, I had gone to mass like every day without fail, except when I was like sick in my room mm. um, as a seminarian. Right. Uh, from like the year before I entered seminary, or two years before I entered seminary. Yeah. Uh, up until this year, in this particular year, I was a third year in theology, I think. Um, so something like seven years yeah. of long of daily time. mass, long yeah. time. Um, and uh, I went to the vigil mass for a, a holy day of obligation, the Immaculate Conception, December 8th. And uh, we had a vigil mass at the university, and then we had a holiday the next day. And I went to the vigil mass. It was on a Sunday night. And then the next day I was going with a group of friends and we were going to travel out to like a little Italian hill town because this is when I was in Rome for seminary and and have like a big pranzone, like this nice lunch. And mm -hmm. it was a really... Charcuterie board. Delightful. <laughs> yes, yeah, charcuterie board. Uh, we had some like truffle pasta out in Umbria. <laughs> like it was truffle pasta all well, right. out there that's nice. where the truffles are coming from so it's cheaper probably yeah yeah it was Way cheaper. okay yeah it, yeah anyway we digress um, <laughs> we digress uh, point is it was a really great day but for some reason we just hadn't like scheduled mass to be part of it and yeah. it was kind of like well we just went to mass last night and that fulfilled our obligation for today um and so I guess we're good, right? And uh, I remember I told my formator that uh, the so at seminary you're assigned to a priest to meet with regularly. Yep. Uh, for what's called external formation, and so I talked to him about it, and he kind of chewed me out, like in a in a loving way, but like a fatherly way of like, what in the world were you thinking? You want to be a priest, and you're not going to go to mass on the day of the Immaculate Conception. And just be like, well, I went yesterday and that fulfilled my obligation. Like, mm. like, are you serious right now? Right. And he did that correction in such a way that it stuck with me so strong. Um, and uh, I think with that kind of formation, like that wasn't shaming me into anything and it wasn't yeah. coercive. It was just like, don't you see that this is the source of your life as a priest? Yeah. And if you drift too far away from this... You're going to really struggle. Right. There's plenty of examples out there of people struggling in their priesthood. Right. Like stay close to Christ in the Eucharist. And that means making sacrifices to say mass on days, even when it would be inconvenient for your <laughs> like 
um, Central Italian holiday plans. Yeah. And I just thought it was, it was great. And it like, it stuck with me and praise God, you know, I've been a priest five years now and I've only not said mass on a handful of days. And that was cause I was sick. Yeah. Um, it's, it was a really strong lesson. So like, I think, and on those days I chastised you. And yeah. And then, like, and then you called me and you're like, <laughs> like, <laughs> kind of like the worst sinus infection ever. And you're just like, what do you think? What do you, you think? think you <laughs> okay. Hey, a few other questions here, but little side question. I just literally want a yes or no. Okay. We don't, I don't want to go into this. Maybe we can do another one, but because we bring up canon law so much, yeah. um, somebody asked about can things currently be added or taken out of canon law? Is it an ever changing thing or is it set? Yeah. It's, it's ever changing and it has been in the history of the church. So we should make a petition to make it required with our sub points. (laughs) We'll, we'll we'll talk to the people. That's the kind of thing that you could change. There's some things and I know you said yes or no, but there's some things in there there that belong to divine law or right law that has been revealed by God through the scriptures. Yep. Um, or definitive magisterial teachings of the church. You can't just change those, but right. like things that belong to doctrine and dogma, but there are other things like what the boundaries of a parish should look like. Right, right, that right, 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 right. Yeah. Obviously can change. And so, yep. yeah. Great. No, no, no. That's great. Okay. Here's a question regarding the whole banning of reception of Holy Communion. Is this in like meant for just public figures or would you apply the same principles to let's just use our friendship. We're close. My family's close, right? Say you knew, um, not through confession and the seal of confession, but we were just talking and I'm sharing like publicly to you, like, Hey, I'm doing something very (laughs) contrary to what the church believes. Mm -hmm. And I'm coming up to communion. Is it just meant for, these public figures or is that something as a priest that you're called to evaluate? I mean, I I know it's a slippery slope, right? Um, Because where do you draw the line? Um, But I I was just curious on that since, since the bishops brought it up and obviously it's going to be addressed in some way because we're now getting even more drastic lines of people that I'm like, I'm a faithful Catholic. I believe in abortion. I don't believe in abortion, this, that, like those things are one thing, but is it also, does it go to the lay faithful that, you have relationships with or father Edwin has relationships with that. Like, Oh, they know this person and I know they're not, they're doing something drastically Mm -hmm. against what the church teaches. The, the canon, as far as I recall the, the language of it is speaking about the situation of public things, public realities. So, uh, marriage is a public reality. Um, and political positions held by politicians are also public realities in the same sense. Um, But I think if I knew that you were uh, gravely off track, um, I would be like one of the the priests that uh, Ezekiel, that the Lord condemns in Ezekiel. If you've ever read that chunk of chapters, Mm -hmm. Ezekiel something to something. Um, <laughs> that was just for you. Um, uh, we read it in the Liturgy of the Hours, actually. Right. Um, uh, every every year it comes up where we're just reading through 
how God is saying like, well, I, I sent you these pastors, but they are feeding themselves and not feeding the, sh- the sheep and they're not, mm. they're not sacrificing their life for the good of the flock. They are running from danger to look after themselves. And then we actually pair it together with some patristic reflections yeah. um, on the same thing. And so it's this double whammy every day. Like, right. <laughs> like to be a good priest means to be the kind of shepherd who will lay down his life. Right. Um, and so that's the angle I would come at it with is like, if I knew that about you and if we were that close and I was unwilling <laughs> to talk to you about it, mm-hmm. um, I would be neglecting my role as a pastor. Right. Um, as a shepherd. And it should never make it to the point where I'm making a big deal of like publicly denying you communion or something like that. Right. Um, that's the kind of thing that I would need to take you aside. Right. Um, beforehand. Uh, I mean, now but I would also not in a given moment. And this is, this is why the canons stick with like public realities. I would never know if, like, what if you had gone to confession that morning and had repented of this obstinate uh, view that you held privately that I knew about, right? right? And then I, like, (laughs) took it on myself to refuse you communion. Like, I would be doing a grave harm to you. I'd be scandalizing you as well as the people around. How is that same principle not applied to the politicians? Because they're public positions. Now, what about my case? Where so I'm you'd a, have to publicly retract them. Right. Now, what about my case where I'm a public, like lay minister in the church? Does oh, that, does that add any, and, and no, no, that, that know, had something that had something, right? Like I'm the youth and, you know, children's yeah. minister it, here. And there's all these categories in canon law about like notoriety and stuff that I don't mm, fully understand. I think right. they're intentionally kind of gray. Cause life is kind of right. gray. But like, yeah, like you are a public figure, um, in the church. And so if it's notorious that you hold this position, right. maybe you would have to, I don't know. I'm just right. guessing more publicly make that change known. Right. Um, it was interesting. I just bring that up because that was one just interesting trying to think thing. It not, right. Not no, really no, no. sure. Yeah. Kind of will draw to a close here in one second. But um, when I traveled on net, I mean, we went throughout the whole country. And some of the people that I struggled with the most were staff members on, yeah. <laughs> like on parish staffs who, you know, m- maybe were in you know, a same sex union, (laughs) you know, like things like this that were like, I am a devoted, you know, Catholic and doing this other thing. And I'm like, man, like it it seems like, yes, we need to address the politician situation, but we need to address the cancer that exists in parish staff. Yeah. Our own house. Um, so I, I don't know. I know that's can open a can of worms, but I just want to toss it out for people's thoughts. Yeah. I think so. I know on these kind of things, sometimes bishops and like dioceses as sort of public entities get criticized for not putting forth legislation mm-hmm. uh, that just sort of like makes it obvious. Uh, you know, we don't believe in these things. My sense is that when when there's a hesitation around legislation, it's a hesitation that's coming from some pastoral sense of, I want to address this in a more private forum. Yeah. Um, now, whether that's always effective right. is another thing. Right. And if we could get into a situation like where the 
expectations, the public expectations, um, were clear on what it means to work for the church. Like, I think they they maybe have been clear, and then the culture changes so much that it's like, okay, it's not clear anymore. Exactly. But my... If if I were in a position like that, I would want to. I would I would want to look out for the good of those particular people as well as the good of the whole. Yeah. Not to neglect the good of the whole and the scandal that happens, um, by, and by by not doing anything. Yeah. But um, I would, I would want to go like Matthew eighteen. Like that's one scripture I can't remember. Is that, you know, take them aside yourself and yeah. then bring two or three witnesses and like have a yeah. smaller conversation and then like only go to the very public and then bring thing. bring a mob when, with the torches. Yeah, pitchforks and torches <laughs> only at the last possible resort because you're trying to win the person back. Yeah. And that's what God wants. That's, right. that's the heart of the father uh, who is trying to reach out through his church to bring those who are straying back yeah. and not just not just make the lines clear and cut off the cancer or whatever like yeah. that's a last resort so yeah. yeah it's 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 tough it brings up good questions so yeah we really uh really jumped into it pretty pretty <laughs> pretty hard <laughs> pretty yeah. hard yeah exactly so this is a fun um, topic <laughs> the eucharist yay um so uh, thanks for joining us prodigal and the priest um you want to reach out to us, you got a question, you got a topic you'd like for us to talk about, we would love to hear from you. You can do that at uh, prodigalandthepriest at gmail.com or stanamparish.org slash ptp. So on behalf of Joey Scantella, Father Paul Bechter, we want to say take care. God bless. <laughs>